0: Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California, from the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of one of la's leading cement factories this is the tully show i am your host mike tully joining me today making his tully show return the drummer of motion city soundtrack alongside side projects to numerous dimension and the host of the breakout podcast sensation bizarre albums hello and welcome back tony Thaxton. hello thank you for having me back I am thrilled to be back. I'm gl- I'm very happy to be talking to you again. I think I need to uh, face the reality of of who I am and what I am, and I should stop trying to interview people who have important things to say or have led interesting lives that I'm supposed to uncover uh, heretofore unknown gems about on the radio. I really just want to talk about bad music. It's all I, I really un- like to do at the end of the
1: day. I understand. I, uh, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about weird music. Sometimes good music. Mm-hmm. Uh Star Wars and uh, not much else. <laughs> what do you what what does
0: your gut tell you to be okay, can we agree in broad strokes, Force
1: Awakens was a very good return to form for Love Star it. Wars. Love I think it. it's it, I, yeah. It might be I this will be blasphemy to some people. It's kinda of like I would say Say currently kind of my favorite one to watch. Thank you. Thank you. No, I I can't ever really tell with
0: kids stuff because I watch things so many times and it gets tied up in my kid enjoying it. And I definitely, you know, in the same way that we're nostalgic for music we grew up Mm -hmm. with, for example, I definitely give... You know, like, pl- Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 might not actually be the best picture of uh-huh. whatever year it came out in, but it seems like it is to me, because it's a pretty <laughs> fucking, it's a pretty entertaining little movie, and I didn't even get to see it in 3D. I definitely recommend that one. But right. um, I remember
1: enjoying the first one. not even have Oh, children. the second one. I never ooh, saw the second one. The first one's
0: a piece of shit compared to the second <laughs> one. Meatballs Balls. 2 is where it's at. It's so good. It's really, well, really Well, Cloudy
1: good. with a Chance of Meatballs. Not Meatballs 2.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that's the one that didn't have Bill Murray. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about Meatballs too, some other we can talk about the entire the Meatballs trilogy. Yes. But uh yeah, Force Awakens, the actually the more time you spend with it and you really start to pull apart the ways in which it, it's totally a remake of the original stuff, mm-hmm. but is also this weird mirror image of it at the same time. The fact that I see lots of uh in children's entertainment. Diversity for diversity's sake, even where it, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, no longer makes sense. They just slid the girl main character mm-hmm. right there, and she's fucking awesome. Yeah. She's easily the best character. She's way better than the, the human males that they introduced.
1: I agree, I, but I, I do think, uh, for the most part, all of the new characters that they introduced are really great. I think they're they're i really good characters, and I think, yeah, she rules, and... I'll take this a step further. Mm-hmm. Gonna offend even more people. Not me. But this is again coming from Star Wars, literally one of my favorite things. Say so it, I can B- talk about B- it all day. BB-8's B- B- better than R2. I'm going. I'm going deeper. <laughs> I'm, I'm going any further than that. I'm gonna say that I might even be jo- enjoying Ray Kylo Ren more than Luke Vader. Okay, now that's where you lose me. I I know I know it's a a uh, strong statement, but I'm just saying. Okay, here's here's uh, styles
0: make fights. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, in my opinion, Ray is about a nine, and uh, Luke is a loser, mm-hmm. and then Kylo Ren is a loser, and Darth Vader is perhaps the most iconic character in all of fantasy and perhaps film.
1: I, I'll give you that a, about Vader for sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I I actually really like Kylo Ren a lot. I think it's a, a great character. I like the that like twist of like he's struggling with, yeah. with the pull to the light. Well, and, you were uh,
0: arguably in an emo band.
1: <laughs> he's, how dare you? He's a very emo Sith.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a very 2019 kind of Sith. But it is interesting because they. Well, you- he's not a
1: Sith though
0: either. Is he, how is he, he hasn't fully. Well, I mean, what, no, they, like, they, they changed his name. Don't, when you get the, the, name. yeah, I know, name. but then he
1: would be a Darth if that was the case. Oh. It's, he's supposed to be this, this to be like, Ren? all other thing that okay. they haven't really given a name to. I see. It's fine. we'll learn more about that. Cause too. you can
0: see them kind of looking at the, there's a, a seemingly a finite number of things that you can do with Star Wars characters and in the Star Wars universe with the, the confines of the Skywalker saga and, you know, the, the light side and the dark side. And you can kind of see them going, well, we've never had the bad guy who was conflicted about being mm-hmm. bad. We've done the good so many times, and um, sometimes it's just that simple. It works. Okay, all that having been said, would you agree, Last Jedi, uh, upon rewatching, not quite as bad as it seemed the first time you saw it, but still, no Force Awakens.
1: I definitely like Force Awakens more. Mm-hmm. I have very... Conflicting feelings on the Last Jedi. I'm I'm definitely not one of the haters and the people that were making such a stink about it.
0: Strike it from the canon.
1: Uh, yeah. Like I'm not. I, that, I was.
0: That. I actually was one of those, really. But I, it's not. It's not. Luke. Luke grows on you. The Luke. The Luke in this one. I think. Oh yeah. Right.
1: I'm. I'm actually the Luke stuff. I'm totally fine with. Um, and most of it I like, and I like that Ryan Johnson. Uh, by the way who did either of us see us talking about star wars this much this early <laughs> no I, i'm actually I, I told you i was up late last night doing dishes and shit i wouldn't i wouldn't have prepped shows if i knew we were just going to talk about star wars hey right. uh but i think that um i like that ryan johnson had the balls to kind of do some different and new things with it um because mm-hmm. i feel like that was you know that's what so many people complained about with Force Awakens It's like oh they just they're just kind of like doing what's already done and then he, it's he like tried to do, game <laughs> yeah then he tried to do new things and then everybody complained this is not my star wars mm. so it's like you can't win well um, you can you can do new
0: things that are good yeah that's how you win
1: but i do think that he did a lot of that there there are parts of like the the Canto Bight Casino stuff. Like I hate that part.
0: That is one of the worst parts of the entire yeah, trilogy. Like, yeah. I
1: I think that it's like it's Ewok esque. It's I would say prequel esque for me. Mm-hmm. Like it reminded me of the prequels. I agree. I agree. Uh, but uh, but some of then like the uh, the Snoke throne room scene with that is literally one of my favorite scenes in any Star Wars movie. Anytime they bring out the red guards,
0: yeah. You know that's like bringing out the uh, the fancy china for Thanksgiving. <laughs>
1: like you can't <laughs> right. you can't blow that, and they did not. The Praetorian yeah.
0: guards delivered. That
1: scene is is fantastic, and so like it's just yeah, except yeah, that, that we
0: never found out who the fuck Snoke is, and now he's dead. That's a sl- that's a
1: small problem. I'm I'm I, I'm okay with it because like it was one of those like didn't see that coming, didn't expect Agreed. him to go away so quick, and Agreed. I I like when they can catch me off guard like that. Agreed. Um. So yeah, it's it's extreme highs and extreme lows for me in that movie. Mm-hmm. It, so, it's, so it's difficult.
0: I think J.J. Abrams is hands-on with the forthcoming finale of the Skywalker saga. That, to me, is an incredibly good sign. I don't understand what makes these guys so goddamn busy. Like, J.J. Abrams, to me, is... uh, I never... What's the thing that made him? Like, it's a TV show that's... Uh, Was it Alias? Yeah, I don't know. It's something really, really big that everyone says is amazing that I didn't bother watching. But then he came on my radar as more than just a name when he uh, rebooted Star Trek. Yes. And I was like, holy fuck. Like, I always liked Star Wars. I never liked Star Trek. And you I'm... made Star Trek
1: really good. That's exactly how I felt. It made it. It felt like a Star Wars movie to me. But, That's why I liked it. I think, But
0: not the sacri- but not sacrificing the Star Trekiness of it. The characters were uncanny representations of the mm-hmm. TV. You know, I was like, wow, if you can do that to Star Trek, what are you going to do to Star Wars? And when you get your hopes up in that sort of way, you're like bound to be disappointed. And then he makes Force Awakens. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, you yeah. did it. It's. It's literally, and we can kind of segue into your show in a second (laughs) on this, it's literally like making a new Beatles album and having people go, yeah, no, that's a Beatles album. That's that's about right. Like, Mm -hmm. holy shit. And then he's like, yeah, I'm just going to produce the next one. I got some other shit to do. It's like, what do you have to do that could be more important than making another legit, canonic Star Wars?
1: Well, I think, to be fair, I think that they kind of, I don't know that that was so much him. I think when they uh, were planning out the trilogy i think they announced ryan johnson like pr- like before force awakens had even started filming i think i think they had yeah. already picked all the directors because okay. it wasn't supposed to be jj for this next one it was going to be colin trevorrow but then he had some duds and they booted him
0: did you see the guy that got fired from rogue one or the guy who got fired from solo
1: neither okay <laughs> the guy that got fired from rise of skywalker uh okay he was—he uh, directed Jurassic World. Oh, okay. And so I think the success of that is why they named him, but then uh, there's there was something else. I don't know. I don't know the whole it's story. It's now a tradition he, to fire the original it seems actor, that a, a director
0: yeah. of a new Star Wars movie. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what – I think J.J. J. Abrams is directing. Yes. And has he been the entire t- – like practically speaking the entire time, or is this like a late-in-the-game save job a la – Solo and uh,
1: one. no, uh, he got named a while ago, okay. like, so I, I don't think they got very far with Trevorrow, who I was see. supposed to do it, yeah, like, they it never like started filming with him or anything.
0: I see, I see. Yeah. So, what does your all this having been said, what does your gut tell you you can expect from Rise of Skywalker?
1: Uh, I don't really know because the uh, the way that, um, Last Jedi ended kind of almost felt like a third movie to me. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of was like so many characters died, and I'm like, where are they going from here? And then some of the stuff they've teased in the trailer, yeah. uh, I really don't know what to expect. In my And As much as I do like J.J., my one concern is I don't think that the ending, the third act, is necessarily his strong point. I see. He's great at setting things up and I think he's great with characters. Uh-huh. But um yeah, that's the only concern that I have.
0: I think we are seeing um that it is as difficult as it is to um to set something up in a genius way, it is maybe twice as hard to wrap it up in a oh, satisfying yeah. fa- uh, you know fashion and it it did feel like in a lot of ways they punted on really furthering a lot of the um the storylines from Force Awakens in ways they couldn't back out of mm-hmm. in Last Jedi, and I'm like getting just getting that Game of Thrones vibe of like, you guys don't know how this ends either, do you? Yeah, and You've I've bitten off more than you can chew, didn't you? Well,
1: and apparently I have heard too that the way that they had that they did have this planned out was that Force Awakens was going to really focus on Han, Eight was going to focus a lot on Luke, and the next one was supposed to be a lot about Leia. Oh, and obviously, that they should have
0: let her anymore. die when she got blown out of that yeah, spaceship. It know. was good enough. You're not going to get a better one. I don't think mm-hmm. it was. It was. It was good enough. I feel so fortunate. Um, we went to uh, Barnes and Noble here in Los Angeles, and Carrie Fisher was making an appearance. Uh, very shortly before she died, and my kid was oh, in wow. maybe the the throes of his first round of Star Wars obsession. We're currently in like number four or something like uh-huh. that, and it's. Uh, it's really cool. We got to see her in That's great. in the flesh, and what a what a strange life. Needless to say, because she was making a personal appearance, multiple adults showed up in stormtrooper costumes, uh-huh. and I forget what other characters were walking around there. It's just really it's a, it's it's a lot to put on a person. Yeah, it's, it's more than we can probably ask of just about anybody's sanity. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how sane she was when she showed up in 1977.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, but like you know, she was very open about the problems that she had, and just right. and uh, but seemed so cool. Yeah, like, just, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, and it's cool. She accomplished other shit. Yeah, on, on oh, the sure. side, you know, she was uh, an accomplished uh, writer. Yeah, She's she's think... even a ghost writer on things that we're not even. We yeah, don't even know that's about. what I, that's what I've heard. Yeah. You know, you're good when you're ghostwriting. writing when they're not just coasting on the name, but they literally just need you to do the work.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's really a shame because I feel like people really started appreciating her, mm-hmm. like, a lot more right before she died.
0: I agree with that, Uh and I think in the arc of Star Wars and where we are as a culture and the fact that she had these opinions about, you know, obviously since 1977 or 1980 about, like, oh, okay, so a woman can give birth to somebody with the force, but heaven forbid a woman actually really have uh-huh. the force she was thinking that the whole time, knowing if I start saying this out loud, I'm just going to be called, you know, a shrew and a killjoy and and Catherine Heigl and what have you. <laughs> and basically, the world sort of arrived at that conclusion, mm-hmm. which I'm sure she was harboring the entire time. Very shortly before she died, I think before she died, I think she did know that people were figuring out the things that she had
1: always known about Star Wars. Yeah. Before she passed. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can just wrap up this show. All right. Yeah. Let's-, let's go home. It's been great. <laughs> just people are listening are either. Stoked or yeah. so annoyed right now? No, I know, I know, I, I yeah, I, I agreed. So um, there is no middle ground.
0: No, I think the stoked people. Sorry, hopefully we can keep your attention. Everybody else, I do apologize. <laughs> we are here to talk to you about music. Um, before we get into the topic, I prepared for today. I want to talk to you about the Bizarre Albums podcast, which seems like it's going really, really well for you. I am very pleased with where it's at.
1: Yeah, I am very happy.
0: I was listening to. Uh, I listened to the first half of the George Martin episode. on my way in today so people know George Martin, Beatles uh, producer at the end of his life did an all star cast covering Beatles songs you make a point and I respect the hell out of you for it on your podcast of saying at the top that you're here not to mock but to celebrate these things Yes, there is to an objective observer a lot to mock about the
1: George Martin album with all due respect to all of the participants it's it's really strange uh, because you know a guy that had fifty, almost fifty years of producing, and you know, produced every Beatles record except for kind of not let it be, but uh, um, you know, legendary career, uh, just insane. And is is a you know has been was knighted and and all this in the UK, and uh, you know, considered the fifth Beatle, and he decides he's gonna make one final record, and says he's gonna get like his friends and heroes involved and he's like I'm known for doing Beatles songs so I thought like I'll do some some Beatles songs but uh the people that he picks not exactly what you would expect. No,
0: there's a lot of Hollywood actors there's a memorable duet between uh Bobby McFerrin and Robin Williams. Yeah. Speaking of which, um I learned something interesting listening to this podcast, which is that Robin Williams apparently became English His I never really noticed because there are so many English people speaking on this Uh for obvious reasons that when when he starts talking, I'm just like, oh, this must be a guy who like engineered Beatles albums like.
1: Hello." And he asked if I'd like to try this song. This sounds wonderful. I mean, just the idea of working with him is so great. You know, now that he's a knight, it's even more of an honor to be working with a knight during the day.
0: I mean, there's a real, (laughs) there's a a hint there. There's more of a uh, uh, than just a lilt, I think, to what. uh, (laughs) But uh, I wanted to play one of the tracks that you um,
1: that you found for this. The so Sean Connery is featured. (laughs) Yeah, this is probably the weirdest of the bunch, in my opinion. Uh, You know, in my life, considered by many to be kind of one of the greatest songs ever, and. uh, there are places I'll remember all my life. Though some have changed. Some forever, not for better. Some have gone, and some remain.
0: God damn it, I'm getting so, off, so soft in my old age. Because there is something weirdly touching about this, I hate to admit
1: it. Yeah, but... Uh... I don't know man it's it's just what a what a strange choice and and I I say on the episode cuz I I found out in doing the research that apparently Sean Connery does sing and can sing but George Martin his thought was uh if you sing it could be anybody mm-hmm. but if you're speaking it everyone will know it's Right, and if you do
0: it as James Bond, then it's <laughs> <Yeah>. fully inimitable. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I feel like I've already noticed listening to your, your show just how many people who we don't know as musicians have a musical background. It sort yeah. It seems like this thing, like I don't, don't think you find a lot of musicians who used to dabble in stand-up comedy or whatever, but yeah. it's amazing how many comics or actors more than just play a little guitar. You can mm-hmm. say, well, they were actually in this band and so-and-so. Um, Billy Connolly was
1: in a band with Jerry... Uh, Jerry Rafferty. Raff- Rafferty? Yeah, they were called the Humble Bums, uh-huh. which is a great name. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I again, it's fun for me too because... A lot of these things I'm aware of ahead of time and a lot of it in and then when I dive in and start yeah. researching then I'm learning as well and I I love these fun little facts like that so like I'm delighted by learning these things as well. Doesn't it seem sometimes
0: like if you had had the um the foresight and and cool and hot spot to be involved with rock and roll in the late 60s or early 70s that you would be virtually guaranteed to be household name like i feel like i've been listening to the new york dolls recently uh-huh. and they're like saying that their they, their drummer uh odid very i think before they've even made their first album and it's like then they auditioned marky ramone then they auditioned like the guy who like maybe like played with Television, and then they auditioned the guy who like became the drummer of New York Dolls. And it's like, was there just such a small pool of people available at that point that everybody eventually latched on with a band that they're still selling T-shirts of at Hot Topic?
1: Right. I know. I've I've thought about things like that too. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, and just the, the the again like the the connections, uh, like so many of these people, like it just it really. I, this is like a cliche thing to say, but it really does make the world seem so small. You're like, wait, that person—they went to high school together. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I'm doing some research right now on uh, Jan and Dean for an upcoming episode. They and, were the ones uh, who
0: did—they did backup vocals on all kinds of things. Did they not?
1: Uh, they may have. I, I, I'm—I haven't fully okay dove in with everything just yet, but little I bits think- and pieces that I've read, mm-hmm. um. They, well, they, you know, became friendly with the Beach Boys, and they kind of wrote songs for, or sorry, uh, Brian Wilson wrote some of their songs, and then there was a, like, inter, whatever the word is, Um, but in just reading that, uh, talking about just them being in high school and starting this band together, and then... Uh, I was talking about and then sometimes in their band, uh, future Beach Boy, Bruce Johnson would come and play with them. But then also it's talking about when they were starting singing together, like they would sing with their football teammates on the school's football team that included James Brolin. just like all these weird things like that. (laughs) I was like, okay, didn't see that coming. And yeah, it's just constantly like all these people that are connected that you don't expect to be connected.
0: I think there's something to be said for, it's not always a coincidence that when people who are young and are ambitious run into each other, they compare themselves to each other, thereby raising each other's games but that doesn't explain how James Brolin was just on your football team
1: (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) harmonizing together in the locker room yeah Yeah, Jan
0: Jan and Dean I want to say that they're the ones who did the backup vocals on the classic T-Rex stuff like the that's Jan and Dean okay It's somebody and somebody. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's Sanford and Son. I'm I'm losing it, man. This morning, I I swear, I caught myself listening to B-I-N-G-O in a loop for like a half an hour. I am toast. So I know that you've started a Patreon tier of your podcast where instead of just talking about bizarre albums, you're talking about sort of bizarre one-offs. Yes. And you tweeted one of those, which I responded to your tweet about because it struck a very strong chord with me. Maybe some people will recall, uh, maybe many people have managed to banish this from their brain
1: give a listener out there a chance to win a million dollars.
0: So this was so, McDonald's did uh, a pretty successful promotion where they made a mm-hmm. song out of the entire McDonald's menu because it is fairly limited. And you were supposed to learn how to sing... It's very <laughs> annoying, and then everybody went and got a copy of their Sunday newspaper. They must have sold so many newspapers that week. And you got a flexi disc. Oh, is that what? I, I didn't remember sure.
1: the newspaper part. I thought it was like a Happy Meal thing or something. I could. I'm be not wrong. saying. I'm not saying. Yeah, you're yeah. Wrong. I, I seem to
0: recall that. The, the the flexi disc coming in. You know, those very basic square, mm-hmm. like you could the floppy, uh, the original floppy disc sort yeah. of uh, records. And there's a chorus that. Oh my! I'm not going to do that, people. And uh, they sing, and basically, if they make it all the way through the song, you win a million dollars. And obviously, there was only one record that where the band makes it all the way through. The rest of us got so Mm -hmm. tantalizing. They're going to keep going anyway. So uh, the the, yes, that was an annoying
1: thing from from childhood. Is there any interesting backstory to that? Uh, Well, I haven't actually covered that yet. Oh, Okay, I literally just like. As of the day we're recording this, mm-hmm. I launched the Patreon today. Oh, I see. So there's only one episode thus far of the, Okay, so yeah, that's the that's the new thing. Patreon.com/slash/bizarrealbums. But then, yeah, the the show for the Patreon is weekly bonus episodes. It's bizarre singles, and mm-hmm. yeah, so it's just like songs that are like outliers from albums. It's like, wait, this doesn't really fit, mm-hmm. or just yeah, weird things like that, or uh, weird, uh, you know, sometimes these like celebrities or whoever would sometimes maybe not put out a whole album, but they would release a single. Uh-huh. So I'm just gonna dive into a lot of those types of things. You will find something
0: very interesting out about that song. That, okay, uh, and I'll I'll say I'll leave it. To you that uh that i I did not know and would not have known, but here's what I want to talk to you about that jarred something in my memory when you were uh, talking about that song al- although I do recall the song immediately I thought you were talking about this piece and of Mac shit oh Mac tonight have yeah sit, right to for- if people remember they remember if they don't it's not worth uh looking <laughs> looking into there's a guy with a with a crescent moon uh oh, head yes. who's who's uh basically yeah, they're trying to get people to eat fourth meal before fourth meal. It's, just, <laughs> hate- it's Mac Tonight. Yeah. Don't forget. Just Would- because you've already eaten three square meals doesn't mean you can't go get a Big Mac and a large fries in and, and I
1: I believe his name was Mac Tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And now I, um, I did not have the benefit that many people do of like a cool older person in my life who could steer me. Correctly in music and turn me onto a bunch of cool old zeppelin actually no, that's not true. My cousin gave me a bunch of old Zeppelin albums, and I just refused to listen to them. Uh-huh. It's my fault that I have horrible <laughs> taste in music, but um I had no idea at the time that that was a Bobby Darren song, yeah, same. it was being repurposed mm-hmm. and you it's a lot to be uh, it's like when you when you hear a, a cover version of a song I heard a band a metal band this comes up all the time in the show called Kick Tracy cover. Uh, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, that will always be the definitive version of Mrs. Robinson. (laughs) That's just the way our brains seem to work when it comes to music. So it got me thinking about um, all of the songs that have been ruined by Mm -hmm. being jingle-ized. There's definitely a bunch that, for me, were introduced to me as jingles, and then there's other ones that that I think were just ruined for other poor sobs out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if any of these uh, come to mind for you, where when you think of a song, you kind of think of the
1: the ad jingle version of it. <laughs> I think, I think the biggest one for me, uh, and it's funny because I, I had a, a friend of mine uh, just kind of did this one day, and as soon as he started singing it, I knew exactly what he was going to do. Is mm-hmm. uh, the uh, sugar pie honey bun? You know that I love you, and then it's uh, I can't help myself. It's Duncan Hines mm. and nobody else.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> sons of bitches. Like, the Motown catalog uh-huh. was not generating enough money through conventional uh, channels, which is, speaking of um, Motown, this song, to me, is the definitive version of this song. Hold on.
1: We are the sunshine of your life, Minute May. Minute
0: made with yeah. calcium. Now I mean it, they didn't even uh, it, it, they couldn't even make it fit it's a very awkward
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. it's melodic thing actually my daughter did the same thing this morning she's singing uh, Skidamarink a lot these days uh-huh. I don't know if you know the classic Skittimarink. That's, oh, that's that's like Spotify now thinks that I like that and suggests <laughs> other things of it's ilk to me because you know who can the AI is not that intelligent yet right. to understand I'm merely tolerating it but she'll just sit around going I love and then this morning, it just became, I love Dada. hmm Bye. <laughs> because there is no place to put the word bye, but she only has a three-word vocabulary. So yeah. she's flexing wherever she has the opportunity. Um, that I was shocked to learn that um, Stevie Wonder
1: had a version of the Minute Maid song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Oh, man. Yeah, I... I know I definitely have these where like later Oh, actually someone just told me one recently. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. I think carry on and I'll try to I'll try to remember what it was cuz someone told me one and it they were like did you know cuz They had learned it when they were a kid, and I was like, "This is news to me right now." This was literally like two weeks ago.
0: I take music very, very seriously, and maybe too seriously. But uh, I'm sensitive to it. I can't really do other things like while music is on. I can clean my house, but I can't like read while music is on because I I pay attention to it. Same, you know. And uh, and uh, um, if I'm in a store and they're playing particularly awful stuff, I really do find it just as offensive as say like a bad smell Uh or, or, or something like that. And I do consider this a small crime against humanity. Now, obviously the artist has to be complicit in this. Well, in most cases, we'll get to one where the artist couldn't have been in a second um, because these are for the most part, great songs. That's why they're being repurposed mm-hmm. and they are taken away from you there. Yeah. You can never enjoy this song for what it is. Once you've well, like, well, this one here,
1: Up good I, do. On so <laughs> on I do not well, remember this one. We, <laughs> one. we might be a little young.
0: This is 1980. A, a, a- <laughs> young Adam Sandler to record the program. <laughs> <Right? laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, for the most part, obviously the artists are involved in this. Uh one exception to that is uh is this one right here, which I think that there may be more than one instance of this artist having been used.
1: Toyota Tercel EZ, still priced in the fifties. Contemporary style, contemporary power, but priced at only fifty eight forty eight. It's so easy.
0: Toyota Terc- It's so crazy how hard. Oh, there's Johnny Rockets. Johnny Rockets. I think that's the one on uh, Melrose. <laughs> it's crazy how hard the fifties came raging back in the eighties. Yeah. It's just such a such a Reagan thing that that just seemed like such a a chic thing to align right. yourself with the nineteen fifties.
1: Was that? You know, that harsh. Song's from the '60s, I think. Probably, By yeah. Holly, late '50s, early '60s. Uh, was the '50s thing also because of Back to the Future, possibly, or was it already kind of a thing, and then Back to the Future kind of jumped on that? Well, that's what I'm trying to remember.
0: Right, and there's a couple like Dirty Dancing, uh, yeah. The the Ritchie Valens movie. I know '50s, '60s. I know they're not. Obviously, the same thing. But I feel like when you talk about the '60s and the culture, we're usually actually talking about the late '60s and the introduction of like rock and roll proper and counterculture and hippie shit like that. Anything before that, I don't really, you know, the Bill Haley stuff. I still feel like we're talking about '50s yeah. '50s culture. I don't know who really got in on the ground floor first, but I I really do suspect it was, for whatever reason. I don't want to give Ronald Reagan credit, but I think he was already riding this wave of, you know, it's dawn in America. We can just forget that the last couple decades ever happened and we can just go back to the last time anything made sense. Mm. And for some weird reason, that was reassuring to the id of America. And then it may have even been a coincidence that somebody then made a 50s thing that was successful. It may not have been something that they were thinking through that thoroughly, but I think people were like, ooh, ooh, the 50s thing. Yeah, we like that again. Right. And then, I don't know who did that first. Even like... um. It's like American graffiti. Yeah, is that in the fifties? Yes, I believe that, that might have even been
1: the beginning of the fifties. Interesting. Yeah, because that's, that's like early seventies. Yeah, like seven. I want to say seventy-two, seventy-three, something yeah. like
0: that. It's pretty pretty quick to be. Retroing it back and turning it back yeah. around. Mm-hmm. I guess it's what it is one generation's children come of age and become adults and start making things about their childhood. And all in all, that doesn't really take like – doesn't take 30 years for that yeah. to happen. So that's a Buddy Holly song um, that's now selling Toyota Tercels, which are, in case people didn't catch it, available for $5,848. <laughs> That's a deal in 1987, and you could probably get it yourself for even less than that nowadays. Of <laughs> one from an 87 <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing to me is that while Beatles songs have been used in ads, maybe had been at that point, certainly have been since then. It's always been the original master recording. You know, have mm-hmm. Revolution in a, you know, a, a, a Reebok
1: ad or or, yeah, or I what remember. have you. I, that one did come to mind cause I because I, yeah, they, they used the actual recording. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was. My introduction right. to that song. I was very aware of the Beatles, but I don't think I knew a yeah. lot of the later stuff at that right. point. Well, in that my life. was
0: when the Beatles had uh fallen on hard times. People weren't really interested in them anymore. Their back catalog <laughs> wasn't making them any money whatsoever. So in order to put food on the table, even vegan food, yeah. Paul McCartney had mm-hmm. no choice mm-hmm. but to license that song, you know? Of course. Yes. Um and so anyway, I think McCartney was was fairly publicly adamant that he would not license Beatles stuff for for ads or allowed to be rewritten to be uh, become a jingle, the problem with that is the reverence that he showed for his own work he did not extend to Buddy Holly's work which he also owned.
1: <laughs> I, I did not know that part.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Another fun little wrinkle there is I believe when Paul McCartney the story goes when Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson yeah. were making their um, "The Girl Is Mine" and "Say mm-hmm. Say Say," mm-hmm. they were bsing. And Paul McCartney supposedly mentions, you know, you can make a lot of money. Yeah, like that's where the real money is. In publishing, I own Buddy Holly, and you should see what I'm getting from Toyota, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, to which Michael Jackson goes, oh, great idea. I'll go buy the
1: Beatles catalog. Mm -hmm. What a move. (laughs) What a guy. What a guy. (laughs) Which then isn't, wouldn't the revolution thing have happened? That's when yeah i don't
0: the, i don't know that's a that's a very good question i i, I, I
1: cuz i feel like that is part of the story if i remember correctly is that that's kind of why it happened then with cuz michael jackson was like yep do it
0: yeah well michael jackson was not averse to mixing art and uh in commerce himself this i don't know if you recall this I, it, this almost in my mind qualifies as like an alternate version of one of his songs let me see where he comes in here is that, is that the master recording no doing? it is not so, Alfonso Ribeiro
1: dancing that's Michael Jackson you're a whole new generation you love loving what they do I put a Pepsi in the motion yeah not up to you. hey, you're the Pepsi generation <laughs> I can vaguely remember this. It's yeah, definitely not the I mean, clearly Michael Jackson singing, but yeah, yeah. it's not it's not the uh, original music though.
0: It's it's funny because maybe I'm just looking at it through, you know, my 8-year-old eyes or however old I was when that came up. I almost give him a pass for that because I I do think that we expect the leading lights in pop music and an all uh, mass entertainment to like break barriers and to mm-hmm. you know change the game and it really was sort of revolutionary for the biggest guy in the world to like align himself with a, a cool soda brand <laughs> Well, like, this it is... doesn't make me think less of Michael Jackson it actually just seems like part of the tapestry of his career
1: that he did billy jean to the tune of or pepsi to the tune of billy jean <laughs> well wasn't wouldn't this have also been after the famous incident of his hair catching on fire As and in, wasn't that for a pepsi thing also you're absolutely right yeah that was a pepsi thing
0: right i forget exactly what happened like he did like a like a like a particularly strong chamon and stuck his hand in the light <laughs> I, or something
1: i don't I, I don't remember the specifics of it it's uh-huh. one of those things i just vaguely know the story yeah <laughs>
0: and also pepsi was a thing that everybody was doing i uh, although he refused to say the name of the uh, okay so david bowie did a version of one of his songs with tina turner for a mm-hmm. pepsi commercial and i feel like everybody has their weird line in the sand of this is what i'll do but this is where i you know this is where i draw the line he rerecords modern love he does uh-huh. this pretty actually interesting uh, a new version with Tina Turner involved on the hook and he's doing the slogan but he never actually says Pepsi. Okay. And I can't help but think that he was like, well, I'm not a sellout. Yeah. It's I'm merely <laughs> acting in and re-recording my song. Yeah. They always wave goodbye. Tina. The choice is yours.
1: Yeah, I don't think I remember this one either. I'm normally like, this stuff is like ingrained in my brain usually. <laughs> but again, you're watching this. They made
0: by by 80s standards a, a decent music video. You had yeah. two major superstars. If the price that we needed to pay for having that instead of like a, a you know a GI Joe ad was that he had to say the choice of a new generation, like I kind of feel like everybody
1: was winning there, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's surprising. I don't, uh, I wouldn't have expected that one out of Bowie. Now, let me see
0: what else. Of course, there's the the granddaddy of all of this, a song that, I mean, to me, it's funny because every now and again I will hear. The real song,
1: right? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> God, I got so sick of these. Com- these commercials were on all the time. Yeah, they went on for years, didn't they? Yeah, yes, I think so. And you know how?
0: But they all want the same thing. Wait, when's he going to do it? Longest-lasting. Where is it? On the road. It's got to be there. There we go. <laughs> you know what? I compare that to like when you're uh, when you're. Sleeping with somebody who's snoring and it almost becomes, the silence becomes more annoying because you know that the snore is, is coming. <laughs> Those ads, it's like, can we just get the, oh, like a rock. Can we just get that over with right off the top because we, we all know it's coming and you're just you're torturing me in the meantime. <laughs>
1: yeah if I remember i right, i uh I feel like this surprises people about me often but uh I enjoy watching football and uh i I just remember watching football games and that just yeah. being on every single commercial break, and it was so annoying,
0: yeah just modern advertising and by modern you know i mean the last few decades, it's just impossible for me to wrap my head around how Anybody can make money with the advertising budgets. It just mm-hmm. always seemed like there should be somebody who could show up and be like, hey, guys, we're the company that doesn't play like a rock every fucking commercial break. <laughs> Don't forget about us. Our cars are like, you know, what's a Tercel 5800? Ours are 4800 because you're not paying for all the ads. <laughs> See you later. Like, How could that not be a successful strategy? Yeah. And yet clearly when you look at every single industry on earth, it's just it, it can't
1: work, I guess. Yeah uh was, you know what came to mind with the multiple Pepsi spots was uh i don't know if this was written originally maybe you know uh the, the ray charles you got the right one baby was that something uh, he written for pepsi let's i want to say that that was a pepsi original that's what that's always what i thought but again that's kind of what we're uh, what that's we're fine. talking <laughs> about here so i but i really i don't know the answer um i don't even wonder if he if he wrote that. Right. It could have just been a performance or uh a...
0: You got the right one, baby. Auto completes pretty quickly. It's iconic. That's a ninety one Diet Pepsi ad. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, those were everywhere. That was that was one that ran all the time, and I wanna say for years. But also you time is way different when you're a kid, and it may have just felt like years. <laughs> it may have been a short lived thing. I don't know.
0: Um, the song was written as a love song in 1989 by Arthur Takeall of Annapolis, Maryland, who first performed over uh, radio, this is written in very strange English, first (laughs) performed over radio station W.E.B.B. in Baltimore. He has a registered copyright on the song. Interesting. And then I guess Prince has a song called Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) which has often led to the mistaken belief that Prince wrote the jingle. But the song was written by Diet Pepsi creative director Alfred Marin and jingle writer Peter Cofield, who tried to tailor the catchphrase, the right one, to Ray Charles' delivery and consequently added, baby. And it was the backing singers, the Raylettes, who added the (laughs) uh uh-huh, after playing around with other two-syllable alternatives,
1: such as (laughs) doo-woo. Or, you know, there's also... Pepsi, yeah. (laughs) But is that is that? But then he would have been selling out. Yeah. Does he? I don't. Does he say Diet Pepsi anywhere? I can't. I can't recall. Okay. We'll we'll
0: we'll we'll do it. Okay. I'll look that up, and hopefully (laughs) I won't play two things at the same time. This one, it's so funny because every now and again, a song is just so tailor made for an ad that you you like. uh, I remember when. uh, Bruce Springsteen released his post nine eleven album The Rising, and mm-hmm. the hook is "Come on Up for the Rising." And my boss started at the time started singing "Come on Up for Verizon," uh-huh. and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, like it's <laughs> boy, it, it's 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 right there." And yeah. that was absolutely the same uh, case with this one here. Do you remember this? I
1: definitely remember the real version. Ah, oh, okay. Yes. When all hope
0: is gone, put on these jeans.
1: <laughs> it's just there, dude. Uh, Sassons say so much. I mean, I, you know, when I hear these things, I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and and f- think that you know Elton had to be laughing while do it like could oh, have yeah. been taking this seriously and oh my been like, god hey, you want to no. you want to you want to pay me for this sure i'll do that right and right just kind of right. laughing about it because it's ridiculous it's and I,
0: absolutely stupid that's yeah. why i think it's actually it's actually <laughs> cool and, and i've left out a whole bunch of other examples of songs where they just repurpose them repurpose them for comedic purposes and you go yeah. okay well i mean sad songs they say so much is not you know uh is not in my life <laughs> right. You can feel free to have fun with that if, if it is indeed fun. So here's the, uh, I believe, the original You Got the Right One Baby from 1991. I want to say that was like a Super Bowl, that. That's what I was It was a very say, big yeah. deal.
1: You know, I just love this new Diet Pepsi song. Oh, but oh sweet. On yet? Uh-huh.
0: Okay, so this is not the original. The right one, uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. These are people around the world. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I do Pepsi remember song. this.
0: I believe that's the UN. Yep. <laughs> These are Buddhist rights. yeah
1: so the song <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get the Ray Letts to sing that yeah. Yeah. so the song never says Pepsi but he speaks the word Pepsi in his right. uh, acting portion of the uh... it's possible because that's obviously uh, the,
0: the storyline yeah. of the song had developed quite a bit by that point it was a, a phenomenon it's possible the original did I, I kind of doubt it I also never do- um, have a problem with artists like that who probably did not uh, make as money as they probably ought to have yeah, during their during their heyday, like uh, this one here is uh, this I don't know if this was a regional thing. Is a Red Lobster ad when I was uh when I was a kid. Red
1: Lobster presents the platters. Oh yes, it's the holiday season, and when the platters throw a party, we put out the party platters from Red Lobster. They got shrimp. They got crab. And each bite <laughs> <the> delightful. <laughs> Just pick up the phone.
0: An hour later one
1: home party platters to go from red lobster <laughs> what's the party without the platters red lobster the party lover with i'm f- fully on board for that one again i just have no idea
0: i'm just like these people are known as i mean this is a band that was concocted for this ad they are known as the platters because their sole point in life is to sing about consume and celebrate platters <laughs> So years later, and it's funny because when you hear it with the shit added in, the song just seems sort of drab. When you're like, "Well, what's this? uh,
1: What's this about?" We're not even talking about crab anymore. There's (laughs) nothing going on in this song. (laughs) I feel like that was like a a whole thing too of just like you. A lot of the that era's bands that that then actually appeared in the commercials too. Because I want to say that Duncan Hines thing I was referencing. I Mm want to say the Temptations. I think were I don't even remember if that's who that is, but. uh, I Sounds want to say right. that they were in the commercial also
0: well, and also you don't know who the temptations were at that point, maybe that's the, true. Maybe the original dude would't had a problem with it, but it was they were down to two out of five or uh, something well,
1: like also that. i this was something I never knew uh and actually my, my father in law was like saying something about the temptations to me and talking about how many people had been, so I looked them up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. they have like twenty five x members or something like that. It's a ridiculously long list.
0: Well, yeah, because it just becomes a gig once the original guys are gone, yeah. and somebody does it for a little while, and then they either don't want to do it or they don't like the original Temptations, or they, you know, find something else to do, and it's it, they start cycling them through them pretty fast. I went to um uh like an oldies, um like festival, you know, put together concert here in Los Angeles. I don't know if mm-hmm. you're familiar with Art Laboe; he's the man who coined the phrase "oldies but goodies." Okay. Still taking I, the last I checked, um, requests on air from primarily vatos. Mm-hmm. It's the, the 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 Art LeBeau show is pretty amazing. It's just okay. like a very old white man who coined the phrase "oldies but goodies," taking phone calls from women, sending out song love songs to their boyfriend in prison. And this is like on FM radio here. So I went to the Art LeBeau concert, and I'm just like, actually, if you think about it, look at this lineup. Like, this is a pretty amazing lineup for like $15 on Valentine's Day. And then you get there and you find out why. It's because there's no original members in anything. Right. You know, I know remember there's is, a song that had a band where the the original guy literally just goes burr, 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 and that's like his signature huh? thing because he was clearly the low man on the totem pole. But now yeah. that he's the only original one left, they change the song
1: so that he's just constantly going. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> 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 that is a thing I've wondered if if I because I feel like I have heard of this, but I couldn't tell you if one if I'm making this up or two who this is. But I I I have wondered if. It, if there are any of those bands that have you know gone through so many people that it's gotten to the point where there literally aren't any original oh, members, yeah, but absolutely. it's like the replacements have been replaced, and mm-hmm. then it's just like, oh, now this is literally just a completely different group of people, but under that name. That
0: has definitely happened. A friend of mine, uh, Gareth Reynolds, has been on the show a couple times, does a bit about going to see Foghat when there was one original member, and before the show they announced that the original member wasn't. going to be there, but uh, also I know I saw a little bit of Foreigner at the Indy 500 this past year, and I'm like wow, Foreigner is fucking bringing it, and I mentioned it to Eddie Trunk, I don't know if you're familiar with Uh Eddie, and Eddie's like well yeah, none of those guys are Foreigner, it's Mm -hmm. like a full band of ringers. they better be bringing it, it was the singer (laughs) from uh, Bonham, which was John Bonham's kid, Jason's hair metal band. Okay. Who actually had one pretty great song. Just throwing that out there. All right. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple more that I wanted to play, but there's two I have to play uh, above all else. Obviously, I heard it through the grapevine
1: California raisins. Oh, yeah. Now you're speaking my language. A
0: classic of the genre. I believe I had a a California raisin toy. That is. Oh, I have
1: currently in my (laughs) apartment where I live a box full of California raisins toys. Okay pick up your shit and get out <laughs> <laughs> no it is i don't why why was why was i so why didn't we into them i think they them? were cool
0: um, the final two that i want to play for you are this one is to me just a legit straight up jam
1: what the, the, the ghetto a boys what? yeah say now Pick up a group, read the sticker, and make sure it says St. Eyes, Mark Lickin, Cause if it don't, you ain't getting what you're paying for. St. Eyes is the team I'm playing for. But remember, there's a limit, true. Don't get too full, or you're sure to be finished, dude. Scarface, you to say that, boy, cause I'm drinking St. Eyes and Willie D's getting of Other beer, that's it. This was an actual St.
0: commercial? St. Ides used to run. I remember them getting sued because they would run hip hop songs when getting no clearance whatsoever. They would just have an announcer talking over like a Public Enemy song. And Public uh-huh. Enemy's like, w- what? Yeah. You're like, have you never listened to any of our stuff? What would make you think anybody would be okay with that? Much less <laughs> fucking Chuck D. Yeah. Um, there's another one here where uh, Ice Cube recorded, I think, a new song over a Steely Dan sample for St. Uh-huh. Ides. Like, there's, you could probably make a decent compilation album. Like, Rhino could put out. Yeah, a comp of St. Ives commercials, mm-hmm. and they're actually like legitimate tiny little artifacts from hip hop history. Yeah,
1: I know nothing about this. I don't. I don't remember that one.
0: Well, I knew nothing about this. This is what I will take us out on. Um, this may have legitimately been a case of uh, hard times for the artist, or maybe he just really liked Budweiser. To believe this is real. It sounds real. I want to say at the end, he even shouts out, like, Brood and like, Brood by Anheuser Bush. Please, I hope you're right. Consume responsibly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is making me want to do yet another spin off version of my show. <laughs> There yeah. you go. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, I have a recommendation for you if you have not heard of or seen this. Uh, kind of along these lines, but like a whole other extreme. Uh, on Netflix, there is a documentary called Bathtubs Over Broadway. Are okay. you familiar with this? Nope. Okay. So So uh, I watched this a couple months ago, and I I expected it to be – interesting and fun but i loved it um and it is about so this guy Steve Young not the old NFL quarterback he is a he was a writer for David Letterman for a very long time and uh on the old letterman show they used to do a bit called Dave's record collection okay that's almost kind of an inspiration for i was a huge letterman fan as a kid and uh from like a weirdly young age and uh uh kind of an inspiration somewhat for the podcast I'm doing now. Um, And so they would show these albums and then play like a bit of a a weird song from this record and then, you know, Letterman would make a snarky joke about it and then they move and just that's the whole segment. So one of Steve uh, Young's jobs on the show was to go to record stores and try to find weird albums. Sure. And in doing this, he started stumbling into a lot of records that were put out by these big corporations and he'd be like what what are these and they would always say like for promotional use only and he started uh getting buying them every time he saw them and he got obsessed with these and it's a thing called industrial musicals and i guess it started in the 50s and apparently it's even kind of starting to make a little bit of a comeback so it is these uh These companies, it was really prominent in the 50s to, like, the mid-80s or maybe early 90s. Um, They would have these, sometimes it would be, like, events uh, for, like, shareholders and their employees, and they would stage a musical about... The prod, like about like Ford or um, okay Xerox, mm-hmm. like every, any huge corporate, and they would have these musicals, like sometimes actually perform them live, sometimes they like filmed it, and in almost all these cases, they would have an actual album that they gave to the, the employees the and the recording. shareholders. Oh, you're, and so, yeah. you're,
0: you're for sure going to want to take this home as a memento after you sit yes. through that piece of shit. Yes,
1: right. and... Um, they had like these massive budgets. I know at one point the guy and they, they had legitimate like musicians and writers involved on these. So like musically they're, they're good and it's like a legit musical, but they're just about these corporations. And um, they, uh, I know that at one point one of the guys who was involved in writing wrote a lot of musicals and he's saying that like the budget they had for this like Ford musical or whatever it was he was referring to, uh, was like four million dollars or something like that, and he was like, "No, to compare that, like Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway opened that same month, and their budget was four hundred thousand dollars or something." I'm, I'm, I may be wrong with those numbers, but yeah. it's something. Out of out of control. Like oh, it was that. a
0: pure oligarchy. There were only two or three. Uh, uh. Well, oligopoly is that actually what, what I'm looking for. There's like GM. There was Ford. There uh-huh. weren't. You know, imports hadn't come to town yet. Like it was. Uh, it was. They they had a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, but it wasn't just cars, though. It was. Oh, right. Everything. Good point. Good point. Like, because there's one. One. It's kind of the inspiration for the name of the show. Uh, for the movie. I mean, um, oh, what is it called? But it's something about. Literally just bathrooms. Uh, so it's this com- uh, company that like made toilets and sinks and stuff, and it's this whole musical about about bathtubs and the the toilets and uh, yeah. It's it's fanta- It's a f- it's fascinating to like. It's mind blowing that this stuff is real. It's one of those things you watch. You're like, how is this real? What is that called again? Bathtubs over Broadway. Okay, it's I'll on check Netflix. That out.
0: All right, we have to uh, wrap this thing up. Before I send you on your way, Tony Thaxton, let me remind everybody that you can be found on social media at Tony Thaxton and they can find at Bizarre Albums on both Instagram and Twitter. I definitely recommend everybody check it out. Thank you you very much.